Anyhow, Numbers chapter 24. Last week, we, we got through chapter 23 and we saw, and I won't do a whole lot of recapping because um, then I'll end up preaching two sermons and I, I, I don't want to do that tonight. But <clears throat> we know that Balak, the king of Moab, had hired Balaam to curse Israel. We know in chapter uh, 23, he tried to curse him twice. <clears throat> Remember, he took him to a high place uh, they, they offered up sacrifice in that place where they would sacrifice to Baal, but they offered it to the Lord, trying to manipulate God. And you're never going to manipulate God. Uh, you, you're never going to get around, you know, a, a God's prescribed methods of coming to him and worshiping him and so forth. And, uh, you know, they're up there doing that. And then remember, he went up to a more desolate height to try to curse Israel, uh, this man that operated in divination and sorcery. And he went the first time where he could see the, the core of Israel. He could see the main part of Israel. And every time he tried to curse, he just blessed Israel. And God had already told him that would be the case. You know, you're going to go up there, but you're only going to speak what I allow you to speak. And Israel is blessed, and I'm not going to allow you to curse her. We know Balaam went along with this because he was still wanting the, the ransom or the reward of divination that, that Balak was offered or Balak uh, offered him, and that didn't, that didn't work, and he came back, and he told Balak what God had told him to say, and remember, he was angry, I hired you to curse them, not bless them, and then we just consider the fact that the enemy, when he doesn't succeed from one angle, he'll come at another angle, so he's attacked the core, he's attacked like the, you know, the center, and so where does he take him next? He takes him out where he can see the fringe, so let me try to now to curse the people on the fringe. Maybe the people that weren't quite plugged in or the people that were, you know, um, on the outskirts for whatever reason. And we talked about the fact that in Christ, really, no one's on the fringe. If you're in Christ, you may feel like you're on the fringe, but if you're in Jesus Christ, listen, you're right in the middle. You're right there. You're in his hands. He'll never leave you nor forsake you and so forth. And so he goes out there trying to curse the fringe, but he couldn't curse the fringe. He could only bless the fringe. And so he came back again and reported this to Moab, and Moab was, or, or, or to Balak, the king of Moab, and he was furious. And again, no matter how hard he tried, he could not curse what God has blessed. And listen, in Christ Jesus, we're blessed tonight. Jesus became a curse for us at the cross of Calvary, um, he bore our sins. Yes, there can be times when we can fall into sin and, and, and give opportunity for attacks of the devil. There's times when the Lord will even allow, you know, increased spiritual warfare and so forth. But listen, in Christ, we are blessed because even in those things, he tells us that God works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. So even when the enemy tries to bring a curse, when the enemy tries to bring an opposition and so forth, God is so good to us by his sovereign hand, he works that for good. And I marvel at that. I marvel that as, as you know, the, 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 the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you see just the unfolding of scripture and the truth of God and his promises. And I just step back and I, and, and I, I see so many things that you're like, oh, this isn't good. And yet God, you know, if you humble your heart before him and just say, Lord, meet, meet me where I'm at. How, how we can work through those things. It's just amazing. So we are blessed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pick it up here in Numbers 24 because now he's taking them to another place to try to bring a cursing upon Israel. Remember, this all has to do with spiritual warfare. This has to do with, with 
those powers and principalities and trying to manipulate things in the heavenlies. But again, our God cannot be manipulated. It says, now Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. He did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but set his face towards the wilderness. And this really shows the great lack of the fear of God that Balaam had. Because God already told him again, you're not going to bless or you're not going to curse Israel. I've blessed Israel. And if you do curse Israel, you'll be cursed. If you bless her, you'll be blessed. God had already told him that. But obviously, this was not a man that took God at his word because now he's seeing it pleases the Lord to bless Israel and it's written as if it's a surprise or it's something that he didn't know would happen when God already said, Israel's blessed and I'm not going to allow you again to curse her. So he sees this. And so instead of, again, just humbling his heart and surrendering his heart to God, because remember last week we even saw him saying, um, that, that I want to die the death of, of the righteous and talked about the fact that the Lord, the Lord allowed him to, to see really into eternity. But the only way you can die the death of the righteous is you have to live the life of the righteous. Amen. And that starts in giving your, faith, your, your life to Jesus Christ because he is our righteousness. And yet again, he saw that, he said, I want that, and yet he didn't yield to it and you would think at this point seeing this he would cry out to the lord but instead it says he didn't do as the other times to use sorcery but he set his face towards the wilderness so again in, instead of yielding to the lord we see the real demonic uh presence working in him what's he do once again well let me try a different angle let me not use sorcery this time let me set my face towards the wilderness and you know what I don't know what the thought behind that was I mean this still was demonic activity but perhaps he was thinking you know let me drop my normal routine and you know what I'm just going to throw one up and we'll see what happens you know we'll, we'll just we'll just kind of throw like a you know football they call it the Hail Mary right you know where you just step back and you let it go and let's see what happens that, that's basically what he's doing here and you just see a man really kicking against the goads. Remember Paul when he was persecuting the church? And, and it, it just, there was persecution happening there, but the more he persecuted the church, the more the church flourished. Because again, what God blesses is blessed. And that resistance, and finally God got him on the road to Damascus and said, you know, you're kicking against the goads, the, the, the prick, so to speak, and you need to yield. Balaam's doing that. And listen, all of this, all of this was his, to his own demise. He's trying to profit from this. He's thinking, I'm going to do what Balak wants me to do, and I'm going to get a king's ransom, and I'm going to be rewarded in my manipulation and my rebellion and my sin. And, and he's trying to get that through, again, destroying someone else. Because, again, he had been hired to bring destruction upon Israel. And the bottom line is when your aim is to destroy others, it's always going to be to your destruction. I don't care what the setting is. If that's your aim, you're going to be destroyed. I shouldn't say no matter what the, the, the setting is because, listen, their Bible does speak of governments and wars and there's righteous wars and so forth. But when your aim is to destroy someone for, again, just the purpose of destruction or to bring forth your plan, your plot, or whatever it is, talking about just on a human level, talking about in our lives, is going to destroy you. And we get tempted to have hearts that want to see others destroyed. 
That comes from selfishness. That comes from pride. That comes from arrogance. That comes from us really wanting to take up the mantle of the divine, so to speak, to enforce our vengeance, to enforce our, again, wrath on somebody else. And as human beings, we all get tempted. Have you ever been tempted to feel that way or walk in that? To try to destroy someone else, to try to harm someone else. And again, he's trying to get a blessing from this. Blessing comes when we yield to the Lord. Blessing comes when we pray for those that, you know, it would be our enemies, that we would lift them up to God and so forth. Because you get blessed, first of all, when you just lay it down before him. That's not a burden for us to bear. You get blessed in that because you're walking again in the peace of the Lord. This way never brings peace. And so be careful in walking in such a manner to see the destruction of others uh, and, and absolutely uh, joining in with such things. Isaiah 59, 7, it speaks of this. It says, their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known. And there's no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. And then notice here, whoever takes that way shall not know peace. And Balaam is not finding peace. Again, he thinks he's going to find peace. He thinks he's going to find some reward. But again, all this would be to his own destruction. And when we walk in wrath, when we walk in vengeance, when we walk with bitterness, when we walk to try to, again, bring the destruction on another, you're not going to find any peace whatsoever. Peace is found when we yield to him. Again, notice as well the sorcery. It didn't work. They were walking in covenant with God. This was pronounced again by the Lord He gave that word to Balaam, this pagan, in the last chapter there in verse 23. He says, there's no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. So once again, he says, I'm going to try a different tactic then. We won't use sorcery. I'm going to throw one up and just set my face towards the wilderness and we'll see what happens. And I think Balaam was just thinking, you know what, maybe I'll get lucky here and I'll still get that reward. He should have walked away at this point. He should have walked away a long time ago, but again, he, he's being driven by greed and being driven by, you know, just, just a madness as it speaks about there in, in Peter's epistle in Jude's. Verse 2, it says, And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to the tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Now, this is awesome. And we looked at this earlier in Numbers. When the Israelites would settle in their camp, the, the tribes were all divided up with the tabernacle in the middle. And if you look at the description there, uh, you know, at early in the book, how they would set everything up from looking from a bird's eye view, it formed the picture of a cross by the size of the tribes, the tribes that would be on the north of the tabernacle, the south, the east, and the west. It forms a picture of the cross. And so Balaam's up here and he's looking down on Israel. And what's he see? Again, he sees a cross. He sees, you could say he sees the cross. And I'm going to skip ahead and we'll touch on this again in verse 5. But in verse 5 of our passage, it says, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. And God again would give that word to Balaam. And it's a fascinating thing because this was not a prophet of God. He was a pagan, yet God was showing that again, he can speak through two donkeys if he wants. The one earlier and this one. And, and, and again, just showing his uh, supremacy and his power. And so he looked up and again, he saw Israel encamped. And then in verse 5, it's the, 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 dec- the declaration, how lovely are your tents. 
And indeed, there's no greater expression of love than the cross of Calvary. And he was seeing a prophetic view of how the Messiah of the world would come and atone for our sins. And think about that, the loveliness of the cross, the loveliness of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, shall, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, that's, that's glorious, is it not? Send his only son in our sin, you know, to the world in our rebellion. Send him to die on the cross that, again, whoever, no partiality, would believe, trusted him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And here's Balaam, again, with, with a, 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 a clear picture of it, with the spirit of God coming upon him. And yet, again, he would still refuse, ultimately. He wouldn't die the death of the righteous. He'd die the death of the unrighteousness and his hardness of heart. And how sad that's the case today where there are so many that will still refuse his love. And Jesus speaks of this. This isn't my opinion. He talks about wide is the gate that leads to destruction and there's many that go in there by. We need to be praying for people. We need to be lifting up because listen, Balaam's here waging a spiritual war. God's called us to wage a spiritual war on our knees. And this is why the scripture says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You need to be praying. You need to be interceding for those in your life that don't know him. People that God puts on your heart for our nation and so forth. We need to be lifting these things up to God. Again, it's a spiritual war that's being raged. Notice as well, the spirit of God came upon him. And again, he's a pagan. He's practicing sorcery, but the spirit of God is coming upon him and people step back. People get confused with this. I've heard people even say, well, Balaam was a prophet of God. He wasn't a prophet of God. Have you not, didn't you read about him in the New Testament? Did you not read past this section where it talks about him counseling Balak to send in the Moabite women to stumble the Israelites. He's not a prophet of God. But people get confused because the Spirit of God came upon him. Listen, there's a big difference between the Spirit of God coming upon you and the Spirit of God indwelling you. We talked about this Sunday morning a bit. You know, John the Baptist was called the greatest of the prophets, yet he says he's the least in the kingdom of God or he's the least amongst the New Testament saints. Why? Because he had an upon experience, but he never had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit here on earth. Why? Because to have that indwelling, that sealing that you have in Christ, Jesus had to atone for your sins. They didn't have that before. They looked forward to it, and they were saved by faith in that happening. But the Holy Spirit could not come in and dwell with them and commune with them that way because they were still in their sin, even though they had faith that their sin would one day be atoned for. So here's this pagan having an upon experience but it's not an indwelling. It's the Spirit coming upon him, allowing him to prophesy these things because God was allowing it to, again, show his power and his might to show that you cannot curse what God has blessed. But think about the world around us. In a way, all those around us have a type of upon experience that comes upon them even before they come to Christ. Even yourself before you came to Christ had a type of upon experience come upon you. Because Jesus said concerning the Holy Spirit in John 16, 8, and we've talked about this many times, and when he, and the he's in context, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come, he'll convict, convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me, see me no more, and judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And so the Holy Spirit, in a way, 
comes upon the unbeliever. He doesn't dwell in him. He doesn't indwell in him, but he comes upon him and convicts him. I mean, I remember, I mean, my, my whole salvation thing's difficult because I accepted the Lord as a kid and then walked away and came back and walked away and came back. And it's like some, you know, some people, I don't know when I got saved, but I know this, that the Holy Spirit, listen, there were times when he came upon me so hard convicting me. You're in sin. You're under judgment. You're not in right standing with God. And I know many of us can bear that, bear witness to that. Before you came to Christ, it was the Holy Spirit that drew you to God. The Holy Spirit, if you think you found Jesus alone, you're crazy. That's not how it happened. The Holy Spirit came upon you and convicted you of your unrighteousness, of your filth, of judgment to come, that you weren't righteous and so forth. And he used that to draw you to himself. Even in this, the Holy Spirit's coming upon Balaam and he's showing him things of eternity. We'll see tonight, there's all these pictures of Jesus Christ in this showing him that he needed to repent. Sadly, though, he would resist that. But these are insight into spiritual matters. Again, there's people that you love that do not know Jesus Christ. Am I wrong? You need to be praying for them. Don't, don't just be living life alongside them or so forth. Be interceding for them. Be lifting them to the Lord. Be praying that there would be massive conviction of the Holy Spirit upon them concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Saturday, we did a, we did a, a memorial service here for a, a man of God who had passed. And I came up at the end and, and did the, the, the gospel message and so forth. And, and I looked out, and it just, it was so impressed on my heart. It was an older crowd, and it was pressed on my heart. There are many people that are going to die in the very near future. And I knew there were people there, some that knew the Lord, but many that didn't. And it was just impressed on my heart to preach a pretty fiery, like, altar call for a, for a funeral. And I, I just said, listen, I know some of you guys are hating me right now for this, but I love you, and I'm going to share it. And then I, I just said, I'm going to pray that this will not be snatched, this truth will not be snatched from your heart as you leave here, that you would know the love of God. But I said, I am praying right now that the fear and the dread of the living God will fall on you until you fall on your knees and cry out to God. And a few people just gave me a look like I hate your guts right now. <laughs> but I meant it. I pray God will convict you so hard that you'll recognize how holy he is how horrible our sin is, but that Jesus bore the judgment, and if you call him, you can be made right with the living God. We need to pray in that way. You need to be praying for folks that that conviction, that upon experience, will come upon them, not just once, but continually. Verse three, then he took up his oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor. You know, that's how he likes to give himself prominence here. The utterance of a man whose eyes are open. The utterance of a man who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. And he's declaring this in pride, but how sad. Again, he sees and he hears only later to close his eyes and to close his ears. The word speaks to this even concerning us. Hebrews 3, 7, therefore the Holy Spirit says today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in as in the rebellion. Again, man, keep a sensitive heart to the Lord. Eyes open, ears open. Ask him to keep your eyes open and your ears uh, open because we can harden our heart to the things of God. 
There's pictures of this throughout the scripture where individuals will harden the heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart and then eventually God hardened his heart. God gave him over to the hardness of his heart, his rebellion. This happens through, again, sin. It helps us through selfishness, through bitterness, leaving your first love, lack of faith, just getting your eyes off of him. It's amazing. You get your eyes on him and he'll keep your eyes open. Verse 5, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the water. The wilderness thing wasn't working for him. Remember again, I won't use sorcery. I'm going to set my face for the wilderness. He's thinking perhaps the spirit of God will come on me and I'll be able to curse Israel now. It's not working. Again, the declaration, how lovely are your tents. We just talked about that, that picture of the cross that you would see from this vantage point. How lovely are your dwellings, old Israel. And again, the Lord was amongst them in that tabernacle. How lovely is it to dwell with God, to walk with God? Is it not good? And then he speaks here again. You're like valleys that stretch out like gardens planted by the riverside. And when I read this, my mind went there to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm, what a wonderful chapter. Notice what it says here. Just drink this in. Drink this encouragement in. Drink this counsel in here. Psalm 1, 1 through 1, 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And remember, they were called to be set apart. Balaam had even, again, talked about that when the Spirit of God came upon him. So he says, you know, they don't sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And the law he meditates day and night. Notice verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And so we want to be a found absolutely delighting in the word of God. And be careful. Bad company, again, we, we want to be in the world. We want to have a heart for unbelievers. We want to befriend them. But you got to make sure that they're not influencing you, that you're not in that place walking in their counsel standing in their past sitting in the seat that's the picture of this kind of deep fellowship that should be going on with brothers and sisters in the lord verse seven he shall pour out water from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters and again this is speaking of of god's faithfulness to israel to preserve her through natural provision to preserve her supernaturally as well because again uh, his seed shall be in many waters. Again, it's, it's, it's a reference to that seed that's talked about there in Genesis, that seed that would come, the Messiah, who would crush the serpent's head. In fact, the next phrase refers to that Messiah. Uh, he's, his king shall be higher than Agag. His kingdom shall not be exalted. Now, Agag, th- this, this isn't an individual. Agag uh, is a title. Pharaoh. That's a title. There's not a guy named Pharaoh. We read about Pharaoh, but Pharaoh just means king. It'd be like president or Pharaoh or prime minister. It's the same with Agag. That, the king of the Amalekites, which we'll talk about here in a minute, that's the, the title of their king. You know, who's going to be the next Agag, they would say. Same with Abimelech. Abimelech, there's, you know, people read the Bible in Genesis and they read about these two Abimelechs that are like 100, 150 years apart. They go, aha, we got it, an error. This guy can't be that old. It's just a title. It's like president. And so it says, he, his king, Israel's king, shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. Again, a reference to Jesus Christ. Listen, the king of Israel is our king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And again, his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is exalted forever and ever. And isn't it good to be a servant of the king? To know that he is our king. Now notice verse 8. God brings him out of Egypt. His strength is like a wild ox. Again, this is all concerning Israel. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with arrows. He bows down. He lies down like a lion. As a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. And now again, we know that God had already brought them out of Egypt. They've been in the wilderness. He's preparing them. Remember, they're on the way to the promised land. But this is still prophetic in the sense that Jesus would be brought out of Egypt. Remember, Jesus would be born, and Herod would begin to kill all those babies. And God would tell Joseph, take your son to Egypt. And Jesus lived in Egypt till about two years old. And then God called them back out of Egypt. And it's a double prophecy fulfilled where it says he'll call his son out of Egypt. Israel called out of Egypt. Jesus called out of Egypt. And let me ask you, if you're, are you a born-again Christian tonight? Can you say amen to that? Amen. Then you've been called out of Egypt. You're like, I never lived in Egypt. Listen, Egypt's a picture of the world in Scripture. And so we've been called out of Egypt. Aren't you glad that he's brought us out of Egypt? And again, he strengthened her like a, a wild ox and... You've heard that phrase before, that guy's as strong as an ox. I don't care who it is, he's not. An ox is stronger. But we get the phrase because ox are, oxen are strong beasts. But a man's not as strong as an ox, especially a wild one. But this is speaking about divine intervention, strength from above. And listen, no matter what you're going through, God wants to strengthen you in it. Call upon his name. And he would strengthen Israel again through that wilderness and he would be faithful. He says he shall consume the nations. And they would. Listen, God would establish them there in Canaan and Joshua would lead them into that promised land and they would consume their enemies because God gave them that land. Now we know that they would fall in sin. They'd go into captivity. God would bring them back. God would bring the Messiah. The, the, the bulk would reject Christ. The remnant would believe and God scattered them. But in the last days, he said he would regather Israel again and he has. And there's prophetic utterance in scripture concerning Israel in the last days that they would be as fire and their enemies would be as stubble. Israel don't lose wars. They don't. Israel, listen, by all natural accounts should not be a nation today. I mean, think about, we're here in America, and we, we, you know, there's concern about terrorism, there's concern about radical Islam, and so forth. Can you imagine being in Israel? You're in a country the size of New Jersey, you're surrounded by hostility. It's not saying that all those people are hostile, hostile but those regimes, most of them are very hostile towards Israel. I mean, Islam says destroy the infidel, which is the Jew and the Christian, they talk about driving her into the sea and destroying her. Well, why can't they just go do that? Israel's like the size of New Jersey. There's six, six or eight, it might be eight million people there now. Why can't they do that? Because it's the same way, it's the same reason why Balaam could not curse Israel. She's blessed. Does it mean everything she does today is perfect? No, far from that. Though she does a lot of good things. But only about 2% of Israel is born again. But the day is coming when all Israel will be saved. But we're seeing right now prophecy and regathering her. And again, you look at all these various wars from, you know, they were birthed in a day. And then these nations gathered together, being supplied, their weapons supplied by 
England, and boy, they haven't been very blessed since then. It used to be sun never set on British soil. It sets real fast today because it's just a little island. You go look back to these things. You go look at these different nations. You look at our nation, some of the track record of some of the votes in our nation against Israel at times, though we've been a strong ally, but there have been times when we haven't been, and you can track different times where it almost seems like there's a curse that comes on the country from that. This stuff's all documented. This is prophetic utterance. Why? Because the Bible says Christ would sit over Israel forever and ever and ever. And by the way, if you're a born-again Christian and you're grafted into Israel, you're, you're sons and daughters of Abraham. Remember you sung that song growing up in Sunday school? Father Abraham and many sons. I'm one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. You weren't just singing that to have fun and fill time. There was doctrine in that. So again, the, the, her, her enemies were consumed. They're consumed. Israel, though, will have a time of great trouble in the tribulation. Two-thirds of Israel will be destroyed, but the Lord will come back and they'll look on him whom they pierced with faith and God will devour those nations trying to come against him and them. And again, this is massive prophecy that has been fulfilled. It's being fulfilled and it will be fulfilled. And you'll find that in scripture with prophecy. There's always a pattern. There's a repeating pattern. Then there's an ultimate fulfillment of it he speaks of them like a lion we know jesus is the lion of the tribe of judah and then he reiterates blessed is he who blesses you cursed is he who curses you god's never changed that i know there's a lot of people today even in christianum that are wanting to curse israel presbyterian usa there's two of them north of us that denomination has boycotted israel they also ordain homosexuals, we, and, and, and they still think they're conservative and evangelical. But that's a denomination cursing Israel. God says, you're going to be blessed if you bless her. You're going to be cursed if you cursed her. Again, God's plan is eternal. You better think about that. Maybe you're hearing me tonight. Every once in a while, when I'm preaching on, on, on you know, this is going off on Facebook. I'll go look at the comments and someone will start throwing out, oh, you're a Zionist and all this different stuff. Yeah, I am a Zionist, according to the scripture, because Jesus is going to reign in Zion. <laughs> so absolutely I am. Now, again, people get confused with it because there have been a lot of evil Jews in the history of the world. There's a lot of them today. Jews run Hollywood. Your pastor is a Jew, and I did... A lot of evil things before I came to Jesus Christ. Judas was a Jew. <laughs> Listen, these people are just saved by grace through faith in Christ as, Christ as well. But that does not mean that God's promises are null and void because we're evil. Otherwise, everyone in this room's going to hell. It's all the more a great picture of the grace of God. That even in that, God would be faithful to his promises. Guess what? Despite us. And that's always the case. He's faithful despite us. Quickly here, verse 10. Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I have called you to curse my enemies. And look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. What was the Lord blessing them? Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said, I would greatly honor you. But in fact, the Lord has kept back your honor. This guy's just all confused. He actually thinks that he can honor Balaam more than the Lord could honor him. People begin to think that way at times. 
And ultimately, his anger is aroused because of his selfishness, because he did not get what he wanted. And that's generally where anger comes from, right? Anger comes from selfishness. I'm not getting it my way. It's like the child having the temper tantrum. It's ugly, though, when it's adults walking that way. And sadly, he's so angry, yet he's not even getting the fact that Israel's blessings were even for him. Because God has set aside Israel for what? To bring forth the Messiah of the world, that even if Balak and all his sorcery and all of his aim for destruction while he had breath in his lungs could have fallen on his face and said, I know that promise of that Messiah, and I too want to put my faith in him. How many times we get angry when things we want don't come about, and all it is is God being good to us. <laughs> Verse 12, so Balaam said to Balak, I did not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, if Balak, or did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, if Balak were to give me a house full of gold and silver, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says I must speak. He says, I already told you guys. You came with all of this. This is on you. Don't blame me. You're the one that didn't want to listen. But again, Balak thought he could still manipulate the Lord, and Balaam went along thinking the exact same thing. And they're both finding out that's not the case. Verse 14. And now indeed, I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. Now Balak's not asking for this. But he says, I'm going to give you a bonus one. I'm only going to charge you. I'm going to give you another prophetic word. I know you don't want it. But again, the Lord's got hold of my mouth right now. Just like my donkey that I rode in here on. And I'm going to tell you what these people will do to your people in the latter days. So he took up his oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor. He's still using his pomp and, you know, pride here. The utterance of the man whose eyes are open. The utterance of him who hears the word of God. And, and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees visions of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Verse 17, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Talmud. God is giving Balaam a direct vision of Jesus Christ. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. He is seeing Jesus Christ in this vision. He says he's coming, but not quite yet, but he is coming. Talking about this king, talking about this star, talking about, again, the scepter, which is, again, a a staff that a king would use. So just so you know, he's coming. Not quite yet, but he's coming. You know what? Jesus Christ is coming again. Not quite yet, but he's coming. It might be on our way home. Not quite yet, but he is. And did he not come the first time? He came the first time. So you better not think he's not going to come the second time. He says, a star shall come out of Jacob. Revelation twenty two sixteen. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. I don't have time to read it, but if you go read Luke 1, in verse 76, it's actually talking about John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord, which we've been looking at on Sundays. And then it talks about Jesus Christ being the day star. 
It says the day star from high has visited us. In verse 78, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. The day star, the star that brings light in the day, what I, I think is called the sun. That's not Jesus saying, saying Jesus is the sun, the S-U-M, but it's saying he's the son of God who again has come to bring light to those who sat in darkness, to bring them into the light because he is the light. And Balaam's getting this ancient vision of these things. And then a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and her enemies. And again, this is spoken of throughout the scripture. In Genesis 49, I won't read it, but in verse 9, I'll just read it anyway. It's Jacob prophesying over his sons. Because again, Jacob's Israel, right? And he had 12 sons. And then those 12 sons formed 12 tribes. And yet Judah would be the tribe that the Messiah would come from. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He prophesied again. This was before these events we're looking at now. Judah is a lion's whelp. From pray, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion. As a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh. Shiloh means he's, he who is, it, it, he whose it is. It's a messianic term. Until Shiloh comes, and he shall be to the obedience of the people. So again, it was prophesied through Jacob, through Judah, the Messiah would come. And here's Balaam again, this pagan seeing this, the scepter, the king's staff, the symbol of authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says again in the latter days, they're going to batter Moab and destroy the sons of Tomot. When was the last time you saw a Moabite? You know of any Moabites? Again, God fulfilled his word. Verse 18, and Edom shall possess, uh, and, and Edom shall be possessed, uh, be a possession. Seir also, his enemy shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Again, this is prophecy that was fulfilled. It's prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. Edom, Mount Seir, whenever you read about Edom as a, as a, a as a, a place, whenever you read about Mount Seir, you are reading about the rock city Petra. It's the third most mentioned city in the Bible. The first is Jerusalem, the second is Babylon, the third is Petra. Mount Seir, when you read about Edom as far as the region, it's referring to Petra. David, when he was king, ruled over Petra. He ruled over all of Edom. So it was a prophecy that came true. Then they lost that, but this is speaking about an end times prophecy when Israel is doing valiantly. Again, in that tribulation, the Antichrist will try to destroy Israel and they will go to the rock city of Petra and be preserved. That's talking about prophecy that is still to be fulfilled. Which, by the way, people mocked the Bible for a long time saying that place is made up. And then in the 1800s, a Christian archaeologist stumbled upon Petra, which can hold two million people and in Jordan today, modern-day Jordan, who will not be in the covenant with Antichrist, it's the one country we know that will not be, they have built hotels all around Petra, and Petra can, I think today, I, you know what, excuse me, today with all the hotels, it can, it can house two million people. There's six million Jews, they say, in Israel. They say two-thirds will be destroyed during the tribulation. One will survive, they think, to the rock city of Petra, which can hold two million people. So pretty interesting. 
Again, we need to finish here. One out of Jacob shall have dominion. This speaks about Christ. Man lost dominion in the garden. Jesus Christ took dominion back from the enemy at the cross of Calvary. Verse 20, then he looked at Amalek and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be left until he perishes. Amalek is a a descendant of Esau. Remember the battle there uh, in Rephidim when Moses held his staff up and Israel would prevail? They were battling the Amalekites. And when they prayed, they prevailed. And then later on, God told King Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites. And he didn't do that. And then you read the book of Esther, there's a man named Haman, and guess what he is? He's an Amalekite. And all the way, the gods said, destroy them. Just, they're, they're antichrist. You need to destroy them. But they just kept keeping them around, and it was always to their demise. Don't keep sin around in your life. Amen. It's to your demise. And Amalekites are a picture of, of sin. But again, God shows his faithfulness. He says, Amalek was great. It will be last, then it will die. And indeed, that's been the case. Quickly here, verse 21. Then he looked on the Kenites, and he took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? The Canaanites were associated with the Midianites, and the Midianites had joined up with the Moabites to curse Israel and all this. A lot of ites, right? But bottom line, again, beware who you partner with. Verse 23, then he took up his oracle and said, alas, who shall live when God does this? And the answer is no one. You got to yield to him if you want to have everlasting life. But if you want to resist him, who shall live? Oh, I got my own way. I'm going to live. You're not. No one will. It's through him and him alone that we have everlasting life. But ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus, and these shall afflict Ashur and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. And Balak must have just hated this because he's like, I didn't ask for any of this. Now you're cursing me. Uh And then verse 25, it says, so Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place and Balak went his way. But it's not recorded here. Later on, we're going to find out before they separated, they had one more conversation that we find out about later on, which we'll talk about next week. Because this guy really wanted to get paid. And even after seeing all of this stuff, he did not repent. But he said, listen, I can't curse him, but I can tell you how you can stumble him right now. And the enemy has always wanted to do that. Listen, in Christ Jesus, he can't curse you. But boy, he's working overtime to try to stumble you. Keep your eyes on the king. Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We thank you for your word, your goodness. We thank you for the grace we have in you, the everlasting life, Jesus, we have in you by grace through faith in the Lord. Hey, if you don't know him, today's the day of salvation. Jesus Christ went to that cross to make a way of salvation for you. Ask him to forgive you and wash you. Ask him to be the Lord of your life, which means you're turning from being your own Lord to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life and he will meet you where you're at. Whoever calls on the name of of the Lord absolutely will be saved. Lord, bless the rest of our evening here. We just thank you for this wonderful time of fellowship tonight.
to shine your face on all these folks and just meet them where they are in a special way. We thank you for our Wednesday study here. Just continue to bless it, God. Continue to bless it, God. Lord, continue to bless our meals. Continue to bless our prayer, our worship, the time and the word, our fellowship. God, it's such a rich, rich time, and we thank you for it, God. And, uh, you know, Lord, I know we pray a lot of things, and I think sometimes, Lord, we need to pray for this service more. So bless it, God. And again, thank you for all these folks. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. We said together, amen. God bless you.